welcome again to another conservative historian podcast. Once again, I am going to be providing an excerpt from my new book, which is called The Conservative Historian Collected Works. This is Bell Avis. In this particular case, one of the key parts of the book itself is presidential rankings, but conservative historian style. So I'm going to give you actually two bonus excerpts from the book. The first is an explanation of that style, and then the second is going to be a reading of one of those presidents. In this case, I am going to be selecting John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And here is the excerpt. One of the methods to garner engagement in journalism, entertainment, and sports is the list. Want to start a discussion? Put together a list, and normally shy people will contribute with the vociferousness of a politician at a supporter's rally. Ask them why they enjoy football, or describe the nuance of the game, and the questions will often receive a blank stare. Tell them that Michael Jordan should be ranked ahead of LeBron James, and be ready to duck and cover. Ask someone about why Citizen Kane was cinema's seminal event, and you will get a group of cinephiles providing, well, respectful conversation. Ask the same group to rank Citizen Kane in the list of the 100 best movies in order against the likes of, say, The Godfather, and it becomes a mud fight. Understanding the power of creating a list and then providing a ranking of that list, Arthur Schlesinger Sr. first ranked the presidents in 1948, Since then, this practice has been used by several organizations, but most notably the American Political Science Association, or as we will see later in this book, we will refer to as APSA. In sports, the best teams are the ones who had the winning numbers based on the criteria of the game. But the ranking of presidents is much more difficult and is with history itself open to bias and interpretation. After his initial list, Schlesinger later was part of the Kennedy administration. Not surprisingly, he and his son fared higher in the rankings, taking after 1963. A modern-day equivalent would be President George W. Bush aide Karl Rove putting together such a list. APSA utilizes a system whereby the poll is a group of historians. In a different ranking of presidents, C-SPAN released their own ranking in September 2017. Unlike APSA, they put together a better concept of their methodology. Quote, C-SPAN's academic advisors devised a survey in which participants used a 1, not effective, 210, very effective, scale to rate each president on 10 qualities of presidential leadership. These included public persuasion, crisis leadership, economic management, moral authority, international relations, administrative skills, relations with Congress, vision setting and agenda, pursued equal justice for all, and performance within the context of his times. Many of these themes was echoed in the APSA poll as well. The APSA poll was actually conducted by two professors, Branding Roddinghouse of the University of Houston and Justin Vaughn of Boise State University. These professors in turn asked 170 members of the APSA to rank the presidents on greatness. How some of the respondents measured greatness varied. 
In Riding House and Vaughn's paper entitled Presidential Greatness and Political Science, they captured many opinions. Quote, there are arguably as many perspectives, if not significantly more, on what it means to be a great president as there have been presidents themselves. Indeed, a 2012 CNN story that attempted to wrestle the concept into submission instead further indicated the variety of opinions on the matter. Even as they queried a handful of well-known historians with largely similar methodological approaches to the study of the office and the individuals who have held it, unquote. One example cited was Richard Reeves, who stated, quote, presidential greatness is determined by being in the White House at the right time or the wrong time. The presidency is a reactive job, and we judge the presidents by their handling of one or two big crises, usually unforeseen, unquote. To distinguish from all of these polls, especially the APSA poll, which is one of the most cited, there is a need for clarity about the definition of a conservative, because after all, this ranking is one of conservative governance. Many of the pundits on both the right and the left seem to be a little confused by these definitions. George F. Will describes conservative ideology as the following, quote, conservatism argues, as did the founders, that self-interestedness is universal among individuals, but the dignity of the individuals is bound up with the exercise of self-reliance and personal responsibility in pursuing one's interests, unquote. Milton Friedman adds to this, our minds tell us and history confirms that the great threat to freedom is the concentration of power. Government is necessary to preserve our freedom as it is an instrument through which Americans can exercise our freedom. Yet by concentrating power in political hands, it is also the threat to freedom. Even though the men who wield the power initially be of goodwill, and even though they be not corrupted by the power they exercise, the power will both attract and form men of a different stamp, unquote. The key methodology of the conservative historian list is that a conservative president would advocate for greater individual freedoms and less governmental dependence. Presidents who reduce the role and scope of government through less regulation, less government spend, lower taxes, and a decrease of the role in government in everyday lives would rank higher on our list. Subsequently, those presidents who acted contrary to these policies would be ranked lower on the list. So that is just one of the ranking criteria that you would see in the conservative historian collected works presidential rankings by conservatism. To read more about our criteria, and the alternatives of all those other lists, including the one uh, mentioned in APSA, again, please consider purchasing the Conservative Historian Collected Works. And now the second part of our free excerpt, we are going to look at John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Number 16, John F. Kennedy, 1961 through 1963. Like Bill Clinton, Kennedy is a surprise choice for a high ranking on a list of conservative presidents. But this is not a list strictly of party affiliation, but rather a look at what was actually accomplished or not accomplished from a conservative point of view. In addition to cutting taxes and pursuing a vigorous foreign policy, JFK's famous line, quote, 
ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you do for your country, unquote, follows a conservative mindset. This statement is especially poignant in an age in which the citizenry would like their country to pay for, quote, free, unquote, health care, child care, education, energy, and housing without bearing any of the cost. Kennedy's handling of the Cuban Missile Crisis was an important achievement, but historically, Kennedy is let off the hook for the lead up to the standoff. Also, his half-hearted efforts in supporting the Cubans at the Bay of Pigs may have been a missed opportunity. Without the existence of the murderous Castro regime, there would never have been this miss. There is also an issue with Kennedy's reliance upon his brother. In 2020, Donald Trump gets a lot of questions about the influence of his daughter and son-in-law, who have responsibilities for which their experience is limited. A president is and should be entitled to the advisors of their choice. But if it is suspect with Trump, so should it be with Kennedy. Robert Kennedy was more than an attorney general, a position for which he was probably underqualified. He was also the top policy advisor to Kennedy. All advisors should be loyal to their president, but the purpose of the presidency is to ultimately serve the citizenry. Would Robert Kennedy make that hard decision if it came down to what was best for the country, as opposed to his own elder brother? In the area of foreign affairs, he was a steadfast supporter of Israel, but one of Kennedy's legacies was to begin the march towards the Vietnam War, a movement that would vex the foreign policy of four consecutive presidential administrations and cost over 58,000 lives. This was of a piece with the failed Bay of Pigs operation and the Cuban Missile Crisis. By the end of the Vietnam War in 1975, the consensus was clear that this was an unmitigated failure and the U.S. was mistaken to even enter the country. Yet, over the intervening decades, the judgment of the war, largely begun by Kennedy, has shifted. In a Washington Post column dated April 30, 2000, Bob Kerry, former Nebraska senator and a soldier who was severely wounded in Vietnam, wrote, quote, The passage of time and the actions of the communist government of Vietnam have proven to me we were fighting on the right side. In their harsh treatment of the Vietnamese people, in denying them medicine and essential consumer goods, and in prosecuting religious practices, the Vietnamese communists in the post-war years proved themselves to be, well, communists. Today, with the passage of time and the experience of seeing both the benefits of freedom won by our sacrifice and the human destruction done by dictatorships, I believe the cause was just and the sacrifice not in vain. Unquote. Kennedy's bear any burden speech was in essence a message to the communist states that the United States was going to defend liberty and the West. In 2020, with Russia reduced from its superpower status, and when China is the United States' manufacturing hub, it is hard to appreciate the threat that communists posed in the 1960s. At that time, all of Russia and her satellites, Eastern Europe, China, and parts of Africa and Latin America, were either socialist or communist. India, though not explicitly aligned with these nations, also practiced a form of socialism. And then there was communist Cuba, 100 miles from Florida. In that era, it appeared the twin forms of capitalism and democracy, the pillars of the United States, were to be swamped 
by a rolling tide of communism. Kennedy understood the threat and made many decisions to stem the tide. We hope that you have enjoyed this excerpt of our uh, presidential rankings. As we have seen, uh, JFK is 16. To find out who is 15, to find out who is 17, to find out who is number one, and to find out who is dead last in our conservative historian collected works rankings, please look at the book. You can go and see it on Amazon. Just type in conservative historian collected works. You can either get it in a Kindle edition or in hardcover version. Once again, thanks for listening.